and welcome back to Cause Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode, The Fall of Centauri Prime. So this is a very tragic episode, a very sad episode, and what I consider really the end of the main plot points of Babylon 5, starting with the next episode, we have sort of a, a wind down with the epilogue, and then the end. Um, and this episode really sells home just the pure misery and tragedy that this episode is there is no hope in this episode this this episode is all about hopelessness and helplessness uh i mean that it, it, the no choice at all line is repeated several times by multiple characters throughout this episode the entire point of it is that we are resigned to what is to happen there's nothing we can change. We just gotta, you know, accept it with our heads held high and hope for the best, even though the best is probably not going to come. And also, the, the full plan of the drug is revealed. I like how this all essentially comes down to two things. First, the Drock lost their homeworld. Uh, thanks to uh, Lita activating the self-destruct sequence in Zaha Doom, so they, they were stuck uh, without a home. And Londo uh, personally insulted them and their masters uh, by doing that very, very famous scene in Into the Fire when he blows up the island of Cellini. And that's the thing. is Londo's entire thing has always been, quote the Technomage, paying for one simple mistake. Uh, everything that has happened to him through the past five seasons all is the consequences of his actions, whether good or for ill, coming back to bite him in the ass. And here we see that essentially by attempting to save his people, he has doomed them. Uh, that is the ultimate tragedy of the characters. No matter how much he tries to do it right, it keeps going wrong. Uh, and that becomes more evident near the end of the episode when you know, the symbolism is at full bloom. Um, I like how, uh, the, the, essentially the Drock, uh, in, in this becomes more apparent, and I've talked about this before, the legacy of the Shadows and the Vorlons. The Drock and the Telepaths are the legacies. And the thing about legacies, uh, is, and essentially, uh, in a more, uh, Stretched analogy, children are forever, you know, beholden to the shadow of their parents. Uh, and a big part of the Shadow War was the humans and the Mimbari and the Narn and everybody else standing up and saying, no, uh, we no longer need guidance. We no longer need parentage. To get out of the shadow of your parents, you have to kill your parent, at least, <laughs> you know, metaphorically speaking. Uh, the Drok never did that. They are fully enveloped in the shadow of their parents. <laughs> Ironic choice of words there. Uh, and so they want to become the new shadows. They want to become their masters. They feel like they're nothing, to quote the rock itself, a shadow of a shadow. And so they're flailing about, stuck in the legacy and the sins of their past, uh, and they don't know exactly how to go about it. So they are taking the most direct method, everything they learned from the shadows, but they took it the wrong way. So they, they, 
you know, they've engineered this way. This entire situation happens so that the Centauri are beaten, broken, bitter people who are angry and resentful and uh, easy to manipulate. Uh, and they do it all in the background of the shadows, but in a uh, weird, twisted way, they took all the wrong lessons from the shadows. Uh, the uh, If you remember, all the way back in Science Importance, when Jakar mentions, what do you want, to Morden, there's, uh, there's this bit where Jakar says, you, you know, I want, I, I, I want their land sown with salt. I want to drink the marrow from their bones. Uh, and it's all short-sighted revenge. It's all angry resentment built out of, you know, decades of oppression, okay? Morden in the Shadows did not see that as interesting because they needed something with a long-term goal, something easily pulled and manipulated to sow chaos. The moment the Narns got revenge on the Centauri, their lust for new things and, and, and their resentment would disappear. That's all they wanted. They were not useful. So Morden chose not to go with Jakar. And that's what we have here is where the shadows have engineered a way for the Centauri to be in the Narn position back in Signs of Importance and then accept them. They took all the wrong lessons from the shadows. The, the shadows knew a much more efficient way to sow chaos. Uh, and that hubris uh, is uh, often easier to play on than resentment. The region's death is really great. I like how most of the talking between Londo and the Drock is not done by the Drock itself, but through the Regent and his Keeper. And the actor does a wonderful job, uh, and, and there's this wonderful, you know, he's got a manic style because he was always a bit, you know, bonkers before the Keeper, but he became even more eccentric because of the Keeper. And uh, he even makes jokes at his own expense, like... I, I can be blamed for anything. I won't mind. I'll be dead. It just makes the entire thing seem incredibly creepy. Uh, in the moment he dies is the one time we have seen the regent act like himself from before the keeper. You know, he accepts his death in, uh, in a very glamorous way, in a very Centauri way. Uh, he acknowledges he has been many things, silly, sad, been quiet when he should have been loud, but he is not afraid. And in matter of fact, the ending is perhaps a, uh, you know, a respite from what the misery he has been in. It is a, you know, in a strange way, uh, a form of a rescue. So he is ready to die, uh, and he accepts his death. And... It's such a good scene because a lot of this episode is about accepting the worst with your head held high. We see Londo do the same thing when he gets the Keeper. We see Delenn and Lanier accept their deaths. Uh, and, of course, they, they don't end up dying. But, you know, it's all about accepting the worst is to come, knowing that it's going to come, feeling helpless, but still trying to have some dignity within yourself. Uh, so that you don't feel like you have lost fully, if that makes any sense. 
that scene between Londo and Jakar, I cannot stress enough how beautiful it is. Um, because you have Londo who knows these are this is essentially his last moments free. He, you know, is you know gonna be doomed. He knows it. He knows he can't escape it. There's nothing he can do. He is willingly sacrificing himself for his people to ensure that the bombardment doesn't go on and that the uh, uh, and that the Drock do not detonate the weapons they have, uh, you know, the planet surface, meaning that they uh, could potentially kill billions, if not all Centauri on the planet. So he's making the willing sacrifice. He's cared a great deal about the Centauri people. Everything he's ever done has been for his people uh, and you have Jakar who's the same way who's everything he's ever done is for his people you have these two people who have been bitter enemies for so long come together be friends and now they can talk to each other uh, and they are regretful that they will never see each other fully again Londo knows more what's going on than Jakar obviously but it's it's this moment where it's just a release of emotion that is hard to describe. Yeah, I know I'm sensitive to tears every time I watch it. And according to JMS, a lot of his crew members were, you know, crying uh, during the filming of that scene. It is an emotional gut punch. Because you have uh, Londo, you know, pleading to Jakar, please play, pray you never understand. Uh, and trying to tell him without telling him what's going to go on. And them reflecting on their past decisions. You know, when I first met you, I had no power and all the choices I could ever want. Now, I have all the power I could ever want and no choice at all. Uh, and the misery and helplessness that come from the fact that knowing that everything that's happened was dominoed from your own decisions. That the reaper, you know, uh, has come to collect. You reap what you sow. In uh, the last bit, Jakar forgives him. I can't stress how important that bit is. Jakar even stresses, I cannot forgive your people. My people cannot forgive your people. You know, there is too much bad blood there. But I can forgive you and what that is saying is that there has been so much misery and pain between the Narn and the Centauri that no matter what happens that cannot be ignored that will always be at the presence of people's minds it cannot be flushed away but we can try and move on and the symbology of one Narn and one Centauri you know embracing being friends and forgiving each other is far more important than the entire race is doing it. It shows that it's possible to move on. Uh, that it is possible to break the cycle. If only one says, I'm sorry. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. Uh, it just... Andres Katsalis and Peter Drask are literally acting the hell out of it and I cannot like look it up if you haven't like watched this episode in recent times it's on YouTube uh and just watch it it 
it just punches you in the gut repeatedly. And it's, you know, it's only three, four minute scene. That is not only the power of Babylon 5 and great writing and great acting, but to me, summarizes what season five means to me. Season five, for all its many faults, is about endings. And endings of pain, of regret, uh, of all these plots, but that's not what really matters. What matters is these characters have come to respect each other, and they must say goodbye to each other, much like we have to say goodbye to them. And that will be repeated throughout the next few episodes, as I said in the epilogue section of this season. But the Chikar and Londo bit is the most powerful of the bunch. Uh, the scene where Londo goes to get the Keeper, I like how Peter Jurassic acts. There's anger, there's sorrow, there's revulsion on his face, but he holds his head high as the Centauri willing to sacrifice everything for his people and he does it without begging without crying he just takes it and the moment that that comes into play poor 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 Londo has to wear the classic Centauri Conqueror mask the mask that he's grown so so tired of wearing over the past five seasons and he's gonna have to wear it permanently from now on that this all comes down uh, to his decisions coming back to bite him in the ass uh, and he is doomed now to live a prisoner in his own body in his own mind uh, and spout things he doesn't agree with or want to say but he has to to keep his people safe so he will uh and uh, I, I like there's a lot of mirroring uh, with Londo in this this episode. Uh, he asked the Drac, "What do you want?" Which is a nice you know countermeasure to uh, you know uh, to Morden. But also at one point when uh, when he's talking with Sheridan, and Sheridan says, "Hey, don't know if the uh, Delenn situation is your fault or what, but please make sure that nothing bad comes to her." He goes, "Yes, uh, uh, you know, uh, I may come to you and ask for a favor in return, uh, and that is, you know, something Morden uh, did with Londo. Uh, you can tell Londo's uh, full descent in the darkness, the tragedy of the character." is that he learned from his mistakes, but his mistakes caught up to him, and so now he is forced to regress. He's forced to live with the mistakes he made, even having learned the lessons. Uh, the The entire situation with Lanier and Lynn, I like how Londo basically pleads uh, after, after he's done, you know, basically putting on a performance for Sheridan, of the great Centauri Conqueror who does not care anymore, blah, 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 blah. He goes backstage, basically, and he confronts the Drock, and he's like, please, please don't let anything bad happen to him. She's my friend. And he's begging, please, please. This is the one time he shows weakness to the Drock, because his friends mean more to him than anything else outside of his own people. This is who Londo is. And so he is begging, deep down, please do not. And they 
and the drug, I think, choose to spare Delenn out of not any kind of remorse or caring. It's to show Londo, you are our puppet, and because we can easily strike at your heart, your friends, your people, we can make you dance any jig we want. You are nothing but a string to be pulled. It's almost perverse in the way that she is saved that, yeah, she is saved and th that's a great thing, but also it, it's showing that Londo is just trapped and he will never ever be free and we know that the only time he's going to be free is when he dies because in War Without End. And that is the tragedy of this entire ordeal. Um, but... The, uh, the Delin linear stuff, I, once again, I'm going to briefly bring this up of, I, I agree, it's a valid criticism that we know that she's, that Delin's going to survive because we've seen her in the future. However, counter-argument, something I thought about here the other day, um, I wish I had recorded on the previous episode, uh, was that we have known that she is going to survive since season one. Uh, in Babylon Squared, uh, we see her hand and her voice talk to uh, uh, Sinclair, uh, implying that she makes it all the way to whatever happens with Babylon 4. So until we knew what happened with Babylon 4, we knew she was going to survive. Uh, and so that, that happens in Season 3, but we didn't know that then. And then in Season 3, we uh, in War Without End, we see uh, when Sheridan goes to the future that she's an old woman, she's had a child... Uh, and we know she's going to survive until the day Londo dies. So, we have known pretty much since season one and then season three that she was going to be around the entire series. And then with season uh, four, with Deconstruction of Falling Stars, we know that she survives long past the series. Big whoop-de-doo. Once again, fiction is contrived. And you have to have a certain uh, uh, you know, uh, ability to suspend your disbelief. Uh, and some people have different ways of suspending their disbelief, and some people can't, which is fine. I can easily. Uh, like I said last time, I can I can read a Daredevil comic and know Matt Murdock is going to be fine, but I still want to read it because there is legitimate drama and character work being done that it doesn't matter if, you know, uh, in one issue he's going to get shot, and I know the next issue he's going to be right back to normal. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, but it is a valid criticism because some people experience fiction in that way, which is fine. It's just not the way I experience fiction, personally. Uh, so Lanier, in the final few moments, shouts, I love you, Delenn. And Delenn says, I know. Which we always knew she knew. Uh, every time she, uh, you know, broaches the topic with him, especially during the, the, the last bits of season four, it was incredibly uh, sincere in that she was trying to let him down easily, but it didn't work because the way she did it basically egged him on in a way that is not intentional, and it's sad. Uh, and uh, when I cover The Witcher, I'll, get, uh, I'll, I'll talk about this in terms of Geralt and Triss, how Geralt, even though he doesn't love Triss at all, he cares nothing for her outside of she's a friend, accidentally eggs her on through uh, trying to let her down easy. Uh, and it's it's just the way we humans think. 
uh, and why we tr- when we try and soften the blows to our friends, and that ends up irrevocably hurting them in ways we never imagined. Uh, and so after they're saved, she goes, oh, I didn't hear, uh, and, and, and basically lies to save face, uh, but then reinforces it with, you know, going, uh, for a brief moment, I felt incredibly flattered and appreciated and honored. And it's just like, so you've lied saying you didn't hear, but you're subtextually telling him you heard, you don't care, but you appreciate the sentiment, which basically just eggs him on, makes him hurt and wound far more deeper, and he's going to pine for you more and more and more, and it's only going to get worse. Spoilers, that, you know, the, the Lancelot story does not end well. Never does, never will. In uh, Londo's inauguration speech, really drives home that this is World War One Germany, post-World War One Germany. It is a broken and resentful people. They're paying reparations that will destroy their economy. They feel cheated. They feel angry. Uh, they feel like they're being made an example of, that they are the punching bag of the universe. And so they isolate themselves. And sometime in the future, this may lead to something really, really bad because the already inherent problems within their society will start rearing its ugly head when people are desperate and angry enough and they seek a scapegoat to pile on all that anger and fear onto. In the case of, uh, of Germany post-World War I, uh, a man rose to power uh, you know, named Hitler who made the scapegoat the Jewish population. And what led is to one of the worst genocides in human history. Because these very angry and very resentful people who were suffering in multitudes of ways, economically, uh, emotionally, physically, uh, and coming out of a war uh, that left their homeland devastated, you have a people who are broken and angry and want vengeance in some way possible. The Drak got exactly what they wanted. They said they wanted a broken reason for people, and they ensured that's what they got. The the bits where uh, everybody says goodbye to Londo, I like how uh, Delin says that she doesn't know what path Londo is on anymore, and that he's surrounded by great darkness, and she hopes that he can maybe get out of that sometime. We know, and Sheridan knows, that he won't do that until the day he dies. He, he'll he become a drunk, old man, miserable, impitiable, sitting on his throne, watching his world and his people burn as he sits there, unable to do a goddamn thing. The, the bit before, just before his walk to his inauguration, uh, Franklin's speech about uh, legacy and weapons of war uh, speaks to the uh, the ongoing theme of legacy that's been going on essentially since in, Into the Fire uh, and that you know, the, the terrorist bombing in San Diego which is something we've known that's existed since Midnight on the Firing Line and we actually saw in Spider in the Web you know, that those, uh, what happened, that nuke could be, uh, you know, traced back to the Cold War. 
Uh, and so essentially what you have is the deadliness of warriors going away. And, you know, as, as Sheldon says, the giants have left the playground, but they left all their weapons, you know, here, all their guns here. That given su sufficient need, people will find a way to use something that they don't understand, uh, can't fully comprehend, can't build it, but they're willing to do anything they can to survive. And we've seen this throughout history as the technologies invented by war, which are for both good and for ill. Some of them advanced technology for the better of human life. Others have done nothing but destroy and eventually destroy human life. will find their way towards people who are not as technologically advanced or don't fully comprehend the powers of it. And there's this entire concept that only a person who's taken a life can truly understand the weight of that. So someone given a technology they don't fully comprehend cannot imagine the scale of harm they will cause. Uh, and so that's why we have the shadow tech showing up, uh, the telepaths, the drop. All of this is related to the fact that no one truly understands just how powerful the Forlons and Shadows were. And we are now dealing with the fact that they are gone, but they left all their toys in the sandbox. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that will cause many, many messes. It inevitably will. Just like in human history, how engines and machines of war have passed down and down and down, even the people who didn't understand them, but were willing to use them. Uh, and of course, Lita has her deal about the Vorlon home will be accessible to us in one million years. The same thing Ironheart said all the way back in season one. Uh, and of course, we saw in uh, Deconstruction of Falling Stars that the humans became the new kind of Vorlons. But the real gut punch of this episode, outside of all the emotions running high, is that ending. Londo walks to his inauguration uh, with no music, no applause, no crowd. It's a bell tolls representing the amount of people killed in the bombardment. And he walks silently and solemnly to his throne. And he sits on his throne alone, quiet, no one around, and he just listens to the bell. And he sits, and he stews. He is alone, an emperor of ashes. Everything he has done, you know, was to help his people. And yet, at the end of the day, he hurt his people in more ways than he could ever imagine. And became the leader of his people... At a time in which they are broken and they are desperate and they will never recover. So you have Londu sitting there in a absolutely purely Shakespearean tragedy and twist of fate. That this is the man who said, you know, we are a tourist attraction. Open 9 to 5 Earth time. You know, uh, we make... Pretty good at Maroras, you know, uh, one of those kind of fish that attach themselves to sharks. That was in the gallery, and now we have Alondo who sits on his throne and regrets everything. An old man, bitter and alone. Londo is my favorite character, and this ending, I think, is the perfect ending for him. We know how he's gonna die, we don't need to see him again. We will. In a couple of episodes time, he'll have a brief uh, moment of showing up to say goodbye. But the inherent tragedy 
of Londo that everything he did was for naught, uh, and every mistake he made that he learned from, he still has to pay the price for. Um, you know, you can only run so far from your fate, it seems like. The tragedy of Londo Malari is one that sticks with me in ways that is uh, hard to explain. Uh, I, you know, I think constantly about uh, choices I've made, things I've said, and how that will come down to bite me in the ass later or not. All because of where I see Londo at. It makes you really look at yourself in your decisions and try and figure out is this you know what I want in life is this what I'm going to have to pay for it's a morality tale the tragic fall of Londo Malari the man who only wanted what was best for his people anyway see you around till then bye